Well, so you, so you go to bed in, at four in the morning at the moment? What a way to start these conversations. But yes, I do. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, man. I always had this really weird schedule. And I think with the pandemic, it just got worse. I don't know. Everyone's different. But for me, the, the most creative part of my day is from 7, 8 p.m. till around 3, 3.30 a.m. That's when I'm the most creative. And, and I stop at that time because Katie, my fiance, she goes to bed like she cannot go longer. So I'm like, okay, that's kind of my concession. Uh, but yeah, that's that's my thing. How about you? What's your what's your thing? It's, it's the same for me, actually. Yeah, it's exactly the same. But I haven't been able to uh, follow that schedule for a long time now. So it's been really tough on me not to really feel like I have the quiet to actually do the creative work. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, that's the main thing, isn't it? Like when you are uh, when you are working on something creative you need the space to get in this flow state that you need the quiet, the distractions on the day-to-day. It's like, you know, phone rings, you get emails. Like, you know, where I live, uh, I live next to a park, and, and even though, like, I have some, you know, sound treatment uh, studio, I still haven't completely soundproofed. So every now and then I hear, like, you know, dogs barking outside or stuff like that. And um, so you you need that space where everything's quiet, where you I can just lock myself in the studio and and nothing's disturbing me. It's like myself working on it, and that's the only way. It's like entering like a time capsule, isn't it? When it happened to me yesterday, when I thought I was gonna do, I'm working on three different productions at the moment, and I thought, okay, I'm gonna do one hour of this, one hour of this, and one hour of this, and when I realized it was three thirty a.m. and I've been working on one thing for five hours, but it's just the thing that you don't realize that only I have an alarm at 3.30 because that's my time to stop and I was like oh I actually went this far and I didn't realize it I don't know if it happens to you but during the day it's it's I find it more difficult apart from my brain just the external environment it makes it more difficult to allow that you know for me I would even go so far to say that I'm picking up the brain waves of other people so it's not even it's not even the noise. Let's say it's just the uh-huh. fact that people are awake around me, which which kind of like stops me from getting into how you call it like the flow state. It really is true, and it's always it's always been like that for me. And no, that's super interesting. I, I'm just wondering how how's that like practically? How's that work? I don't know. It's just it's just <laughs> the fact that that people are busy, say like are active mm-hmm. around me makes it hard for me to concentrate. So even, so like, you know, I, I have the problem that I feel guilty, like in the mornings and in the afternoons when I realize I can't do anything really, I feel guilty that I'm not like everybody else who just, you know, can concentrate. Um, for me, as you say, for me, it starts, like if I, yeah, I want like, I can get something done in the afternoon, like say it after four, you know, that's kind of okay. But really it starts really at seven or eight in the evening. And as you say, it goes till like three or four in the morning. Mm-hmm. That, and that has been my, my uh, preferred time of working um, ever since I was, I don't know, like maybe 18 or some, something. Yeah. Right? yeah. So like a long time, like 30 years. But now having, having Uma, you know, having the baby, uh, things yeah. change drastically. Mm-hmm. Right, but sometimes I just say, okay, no, it doesn't matter. Even if I only get three hours of sleep, I'm gonna stay up and I'm gonna do my thing. And uh, I've been procrastinating, like composing this this track for a library library uh, music project. 
um, it, it seemed to me like I was procrastinating, but I wasn't really because as soon as I said, okay, like, I'm just going to do it. I'm doing it in, in the night. It took me two hours and I was done. It's really like that for me. <laughs> that's, that's very, no, I mean, it's, it's funny because I, I, I speak to a lot of people that are creative and it's, you know, there's people like, I don't know, uh, most people I know, they, they kind of are on the same boat. You were talking about procrastination that I, I well, you didn't say that word, but I, I assume it was procrastination because, you know, I was projecting what I deal with. Like I, I tend to procrastinate um, and it's very contradictory, contradicting the way, the way I, 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 my brain works because when I have a lot of time on my hands and say, oh, I have all this time to work on this one thing and I have, you know, a week off, I experience the same thing we're talking about, feeling guilty. And it's just like a thing, of course, it's just something great into our brains about like, you know, have to be productive all the time and time is money. And, and I find out I'm not as productive, even though I have all the time in the world, I'm not as productive in the creative world. And ironically, when I have a ton of things on, like I was mentioning right now, I'm working on like three deadlines that I need to finish on top of a couple of other new projects I've been working on. And, uh, if I compartmentalize, compartmentalize the, the time, uh, or say, okay, I'm going to work two hours on this, two hours on this, two hours on that, it's very exhausting. But I realize in the long run, I'm much more productive than if I just work in one project for eight hours straight. I don't know if that, that happens to you. But so that's, that's when I realize. But I tend to, when I have a ton of things, I tend to, oh, I need to do this, I need to do this, and try to block it. And maybe, once I realize, okay, I need to do this, and I prepare my project, that's kind of part of my, my, my ritual before I even start doing anything. I prepare my project on Logic, just, you know, getting the markers is super important, just to kind of start getting the idea of the song in my head. And the markers is, are super important because I start seeing the sections and that's the way I work. I'm like, wow, this is actually cool. I want to work on this. But I spend maybe a week or two being, oh, I don't want to do this. And when I sit down, it's like, I always get back at myself for thinking, why didn't I start this before? You know, this is so easy. So it's just like this uh, contradicting thing. But then, yeah, right. But I don't think I don't think it's contradictory at all because I, right. I experienced something quite similar. And like the way that I've learned to understand is that the process mm -hmm. takes time, right? So like the 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 like the genesis or the the creation takes time even before you put it in action. Let's say, Absolutely. right? So, and so that's what happened to me, like with some projects where it felt like the project has been going for 10 years, but really mm -hmm. it was only that last week of those 10 years where it happened. But everything before that was the preparation, right? Because like with, with some musical project, at least like in my world, right? It is very, it's very, it's very, a very emotional thing. It's, 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 it's not just say, it's not just a craft to sit down. There's, there's art, right? <laughs> if you know what I mean? And, yeah. and when, when, when that is involved, there's like a certain gestation period that we, I think we just need to accept as, um, as kind of like playing into the work, you know? What you're saying, I think the word you said now, accept, I think is a very important word because on my end, I think I've been learning to accept my progress. Uh, and I, I become much better. I think this pandemic has been like incredibly good for me to improve in a lot of things. And it's been going for so long. Now I can look back to the stuff I started writing uh, in March last year and what I'm doing now. And I'm like, oh, I'm actually getting better at things I hated doing. Like, you know, programming drums is a thing that I, I do, but I hate doing. 
and now I'm getting very good at it. So when I write in demos, it's the thing that needs to be done. And I'm, I am like, oh, I, I can think like a drummer. I can do this. I'm not a drummer, but you know, at least I can give something that, um, something that, that, that resembles a drummer. And funny enough, like some of these demos that I've been working on have been recorded by a real drummer after. And I told the drummer, look, dude, do your thing. This is, this is just, you know, an idea for me to, to get it, the stuff going. And, and he ended up, uh, playing almost identically uh, what I what I programmed, which was both amazing, but also very, um, oh, with the word, um, almost horrific to have more responsibility of thinking, oh my God, I, was, I didn't think I had this, but it's good. And, you know, uh, for me, it's been like this process of, of, of realizing, okay, this is my process. My process is not I cannot long. I cannot have like a, a flow state longer than six, seven hours. That's probably the max. When I do that with a little breaks, the next day I'm completely destroyed. And I, you know, I was comparing myself with all the people who are very creative and I admire a lot. You know, one person which I've, you know, followed closely on on, on his creative process is uh, Devin Townsend, which you know we work together on that for people who hasn't seen this. And I completely admire how quickly how down to a science he has his process that he can write a couple tunes fully produced fully demoed overnight and to me that's something that wow i really would love to be able to be on that point but in my head is something that that's not how my brain works so i've learned oh i'm learning to to accept the way my brain works and, and my process and do the word you said to accept that you know i need other things so you know for me, it's super crucial, and it has been crucial, you know, this pandemic as well, exercise. So I, I, you know, got to the gym or go uh, biking like three times a week for like a couple, three, you know, three hours. And it's a thing that I don't do it because I want to be like, you know, a meathead, or, but it helps me on my creative process because when I come back, I feel like my, my brain is clean, that I, um, I have all this energy and I'm ready to do it. And maybe I ended up spending only two hours or three hours in a project because I went to the gym that day. But those two hours or three hours were much more productive as if I sat down just just trying obsessively being like, oh, you have to be productive. And that's not how I work. So I guess everyone's different. But, you know, yeah. hearing I think that word you said, acceptance and, and learning how to hack your own process, because it seems like he has a mind of its own. It, it's, it's a great it's a great technique, I think. You know, it's, it's really uh, stupid, but I'm, I'm always almost 50. And I still feel guilty when I don't, you know, when I feel like I'm not productive. But mm -hmm. other people from the outside, they say, Marcus, you, you're so prolific. You're doing so much. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, actually, this year I didn't really do so much <laughs> because it's true. But, yeah. when I, you know, but when I get to do something, usually there's a lot of uh, music or, you know, a lot of uh, creative energy that gets out into the world, you know. Mm -hmm. So... Um, for me, it really, it really is just like these short bursts of time where I, where I'm really productive, and the other time is just like feels like a waste uh, to me still. But it's not. But it's not. That's what I'm saying. I think like it's just about accepting that um, there is a part of the process that happens un uh, subconsciously that we're not aware of, and we need to Absolutely. give we need to give the subconscious the time to rearrange the parts let's say you know absolutely and and as you're saying i think you like a sponge well 
again projecting myself or, or, or the way I'm doing um, that you know whatever you do whatever you uh, read the experiences you have you know I've had ideas and you know I just come back to my head that I went with uh, with Katie my fiance a couple of months ago to um, this hike this beautiful place in in in, in um, on the outskirts of, of Mexico City is called um, I forgot Amatlan is the name of the town. And there's this hike that would it takes you to these uh, little waterfalls that are called the Quetzalcoatl waterfalls. Quetzalcoatl was uh, a god from 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 the Aztecs. It was the uh, feathered serpent, and uh, and it's supposed to be where uh, on those uh, waterfalls where where the uh, uh, Quetzalcoatl was born. It's a beautiful place. I, I love that it. it was very tiring. It was a very long walk. I, we need to hire a, a, a guide. Which was like a kid, you know, 14, 15 years old, that you give him like, you know, 200 pesos and he would walk you through through the whole thing. It was very demanding, it was beautiful, I, I, I love it. But as I was walking, um, we were hiking, um, Katie is like a big fan of, of, of birds. So she recognizes a lot of them, but, you know, she's been living here, she's from New York, and there's a lot of species that you don't find up there. And uh, there was this bird that I just, pull my phone out and recorded it and the name of the file was dubstep bird because it sounded like a dubstep rave it was like something like that and i was like wow this is amazing i want to use this and turn it into an actual rave and it's just one of those things like okay you could say all right you're infringing the copyrights of the bird but the bird is there for everyone right and i'm that's the thing that gave me, like, you know, stroke me at that point, that it was a pattern that it grabbed me. And I just I just stood there and the guy was like, what is this guy doing? Just recording the dubstep bird for like a couple of minutes so I could keep that. And I bring him back to the studio and therefore I turn into into a, a reef. And it just, and it has happened to me like that when I'm, especially when I'm hiking in open spaces, that all of a sudden I have like, oh, why don't I try this with my synthesizer? And I try like plugging my microphone into the gate and, and Kay just looks at me like, okay, that's fine. I mean, she's used to it. But the creative process is happening in other places as well, even though you're not sitting in front of like a screen and a computer, uh, which, you know, I find really fascinating. And, you know, hearing you back as well, talking about that, I think, you know, this goes well with what you were saying of how it's, it's, it's everywhere, isn't it? It is everywhere. Exactly. And f for me, it is really very much also happening inside of me, mm. you know, like, so it's, it's very rare to me that I hear something outside of me that inspires me. I mean, other people's music inspires me. Yeah, of course. But, mm. but uh, most of the um, ideas that I have, they come from some sort of deep place inside where there's like a, like a hidden like sort of like a hidden emotion, let's say that I don't really know what it is. Mm. And in, in order for me to kind of like understand it, I sort of have to find, I have to find a way to externalize, to bring it into some sort of sound or into like into a, into a composition. Right. And then once, once the composition is there, then that, then it's almost as if I have then worked through that emotion somehow, which is really interesting. Like I, you know, I, I think you. This is the first time that I'm putting it this way, but but that's really what it's like for me. So very very little, very little coming from the outside. Interesting. I yeah, and I, I think what you're saying is is true. And I, in 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 my case, I can totally relate with that. And and we're just talking about like how 
all these things even come from the inside and the outside and and everyone as you were saying every every process is, is different in in my head i can totally see where you come in with that uh especially when i'm writing lyrics uh usually when i write lyrics uh i for me the most important thing is the melody and i think lyrics i mean vocals in general but they are very three-dimensional uh, three right or four-dimensional if you want to think about it because you have an extra dimension that any other instrument, any instrument you have, you know, your harmony, your rhythm, and your melody, right? In vocals, you perhaps have a bit of harmony. If you use some backing vocals, you have your rhythm and you have your melody, which are super important. And the melody and vocals, the thing that we, you know, as humans are, you know, programmed to tune to, you know, the human voice. But then you have the other element of lyrics that, Combined with intensity of the melody or the beauty of the melody, then you have lyrics that has an extra layer of meaning to the music. So they're like, they're very deep, you know, uh, just getting into that stuff is, I think it's very interesting that I, I think a lot of instrumentalists, when they start writing lyrics, because certainly what happened to me, I didn't completely understand the depth of, 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 of you know, a good melody with good lyrics is, you know, it's so powerful. So normally I just, you know, I'm writing lyrics and normally think about first of the melodies. I'm writing some stuff and I normally, you know, being a keyboard player, I am very melodic. So I hear the melody and maybe I start singing what I call bullshit lyrics, which is just whatever comes to my head. But I, I normally hear like syllables that, you know, have a musical, a musical sort of uh, ending or a rhyme. I write that down. But then I start writing those lyrics and normally I tie them because I, I always want to focus on the actual lyrics at the end, otherwise I'm focusing too many things at the same time. But normally when I'm starting looking into those professional lyrics, it's when I'm starting seeing what the song is about. Because I don't know. Yeah. Until I start writing, it's just a stream of consciousness, this uh, uh, free association almost, yeah. Yeah. that all the un unconscious things, you're not, I'm not filtering. So the first thing that comes to my head, I'm just putting it down. And even though it's, if it's words, sometimes words that make no sense and whatever, I'm just listening to the syllables and I don't care. But then I'm starting reading between the lines and what I'm writing about. I'm like, wow, this is, this is tough. I mean, or this is cool or, or this is giving me. So it's all the sudden as if the song itself now is, or the music itself is communicating with me. Uh, even though you know it's just me putting my unconscious out there, seeing it, and then bringing it into the conscious mind, almost like a psychoanalysis uh, 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 session. Uh, so yeah, and 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 when you start kind of when you start seeing the piece outside that came from within, and then you see what you're doing, then you have you're looking at it from the outside, and then you understand what's going on, almost as if the piece had life. But in reality, you're understanding as well yourself. Was doing that, and and it's a very interesting process, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing, and you. Uh, I, I think that that process is also possible purely with music, so without the level of of lyrics. But your example is great because it it really illustrates how mm. that how that works, and um and really like a song, so like a melody, like you say, melody, harmony, rhythm with lyrics is sort mm -hmm. of the perfect marriage of two art forms that exist without each other. You have poetry, mm. let's say you have music, right? So, right. and if you think about it, like there's really no other marriage, let's say of two different art forms that are that perfect. Like, yeah, you can paint while you sing, 
right? <laughs> but or whatever. But but you see, like the, the I think okay. it's 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 really it's like the like maybe, and that's why a song is sort of maybe the most human way that you uh, are the most human art form. Right, because you can, you can, because that you know, language. It's still, it's we're the only species that has a language that we kind of like know works mm -hmm. uh, in the realm of meaning, right? And uh, yeah. So I you're mean, writing. I'm, so you're writing songs. Wow, that's that's cool. <laughs> yeah. No, I've been I've been writing for this uh, brand new project. Uh, I'm kind of like this is an interesting time as well to have this podcast because uh, this uh, we're getting too much into it, but like in um, Monday when after this podcast is, is uh, I don't know when it's going to release, but today is Friday. What is the date? Nineteenth uh, of November. Nineteenth of November. So yeah, I've been altogether. I've been writing a ton of stuff for the last couple of years in between, and I mentioned to you uh, as well. Like I've been writing a solo album, which has been completely, utterly without the computer. I've been just jamming around with my sense my drum machines and make it an experience of um you know the workflow and all the stuff uh, and i've been working for a new project uh, and as i was mentioning it's an, it's an interesting time to have this 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 conversation because on monday i'm announcing uh that i am parting ways with haken and i've been working on a new project uh, that's for maybe for another question to talk about it but this is one of the things that i started writing for this project when the pandemic started uh last year and i got you know got in touch with some friends and i've been in the position of being the main creative force you know it's a collaboration in the end but i'm the one kind of putting stuff out and it's been it's been really fascinating uh uh writing from scratch again because it's something i haven't done in a long time and it's been a very cathartic process because as i said you tend to well i am learning things that did I didn't know about myself, you know, things that I'm putting out and was like, oh, this is cool. I, I like doing this. And and it's kind of, you know, sitting down with an empty page and thinking, wow, like, uh, what's now? Now, what I'm going to do now? This is an empty page. Who am I? You know, musically, who am I? Because there's a big difference of being in a collective. There's a big difference, like being in a group, you know, you human behavior, you, you behave differently when you're in a group and then when you're alone. Uh, or at least you try to adapt, and that's that's kind of human nature. Uh, but when you are like, okay, this is me and this page, this is it. Who am I? And at first, I think it's kind of intimidating. Well, at least it was for me. It was kind of intimidating. But I was sitting down and like, all right, all right, let's just forget about all these rules. Let's just forget about these ideas of these preconceptions of what others suspect of me. Oh, and, and really realize what I want to do. And it's a question that I think when you ask yourself, you really ask yourself of what do I want to do? It takes a bit of digging, at least in my end. Uh, it took a bit of digging of realizing, okay, this is what I want. And the reason why I find it difficult to, to pinpoint exactly what I want is because there's no point of reference. I'm like, I love this kind of music. I love this kind of stuff. I'm into this kind of art. This is the stuff I kind of want. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I have a vision and I can start writing for that. And that's just the most gratifying moment. And at this point, you know, as I was saying, looking back now, uh, uh, I'll say like I'm 70% uh, demoing the whole album. It's just like uh, or writing it. Now I'm looking back and thinking, oh, now it has, it's alive. You know, when you're looking back, 
but it all starts with you sitting down with an empty page. And that's when I think that's the most, I would say challenging, but also freeing experience. Uh, once you decide to take it and not be intimidated by the empty page, I don't know if you have any experience on that stuff, but you know, that's been my, my, my stuff over the last uh, year and a half. I mean, do it a lot, you know, that's, that's actually my thing also in my, in my coaching activities to get people to actually do something because that's basically what you're describing here. Like we can go from nothing to something, or, you know, I also say you can go from nothing to anything. And some people can't even go from nothing to anything. So, you know, that's why it's important to just kind of like do anything. You know, just put your hands on the keyboard, just put your pen to the paper, right? Yeah. That's, that's sort of like, uh, it is the most empowering we can, we can uh, experience as human beings, I think. Like we have a choice, you know? Like we also, we also have the responsibility somehow like to get out of bed in the morning, but it's a choice, right? Like you, we could stay in bed and we know that some people do, right? And it's not good, uh, but you know what I mean? So that's why this creative process that you describe is, is super, it's a super deep, very, very oh. human, human nature thing, as you say. Absolutely. And, and it's funny because um, there's a lot of things like uh, for me, this is like getting so deep into the creative process uh, because I you know the pandemic also like led us everyone to to explore new things, right? Um, and uh, okay. And one of the things that was very interesting for me when I started writing is that I started seeing things about myself that are problems within myself projected into the issues I was having musically. You were talking about do something, and I am, and that's something I always been, always have neglect, always have, have been neglecting to do, or, or to realize that I am, I am normally creative. Like we, you were talking about the act of writing songs, but in my head, I've learned as well that when I am not in the mood for actually writing, I'm doing all the stuff that is also creative, but maybe in a different way. Like I do a ton of sound design, and, and you know about that either either for like, uh, you know, commission based that people ask me to, to program sounds for, for synthesizers, or I do it for myself that I do it in advance. So normally when I'm listening to music, I'm like, Oh, I like that sound or I have ideas for sounds and I do it in advance because every sound takes me about two, three hours and, uh, some of them, but that's something I do in advance. So when I'm actually on the flow state, I'm like, Oh, I need something like that. So I can literally go into my scenes and press that patch I created. And it's there. And I'll have to kind of, interrupt the flow so somehow i find a way now to have a system that when i'm actually not sitting and, and writing actually music i'm doing other stuff that's kind of doing stuff in advance for something i might do or might not use but it's there but nonetheless like i sit and i write stuff and i play stuff and you know like i i think you described something really important here all right. like because because what happens is that sometimes we're simply too judgmental about what we do. That's what I was going. Yes. Yeah. So so may, maybe it's maybe it is the sound design in that moment, which is exactly what you need to do, right? Like it's not something that is less important than the songwriting. Exactly. It's because if you if you if you uh, kind of like submit to the idea to actually do what speaks to you in that moment, then that is exactly what you need to do. And there we shouldn't, we shouldn't doubt that, but we do, I know. 
I'm, I'm throwing, and that's exactly what I was going. And I think we, you know, that's super funny that we're in the same wavelength here. Yeah. Um, that I normally sit down and, and I just play. Like, you know, if I see on the piano, I'm going to start playing. I'm not kind of the cover guy, or I'm always just sit down and play. But I also, I think because of the kind of music I've been playing and the kind of, you know, in the industry where I've been, which is kind of the prog world, and there's this element of things have to be complicated and too clever. I realized I was, everything that's coming naturally, I was always being like, yeah, but that's, that's too simple. Uh, but, you know, the harmony is too simple. Uh, oh, yeah, but, you know, it's, uh, it's okay. And I'll just, when I started noticing that, I started realizing how much I was, how much of the real me I was discarding. You know, this is what it comes out. It's a real me. It's like now talking to you. What I'm saying is not scripted. It's not that I, you know, okay, give me five minutes and I want to write this script to make me sound even more clever or, you know, more stupid or whatever I want. But this is me. And this is what makes connections, right? That the real you is, is why you have friends and the friends you have. And the same for me. The real me is what, you know, build the relationships I have. But because in music, you can write stuff, you know, you know in my case, uh, and the kind of, music I play where you have almost this immediate bug that, well, but it's in 4-4, but, but it's like all diatonic. Oh, but it's, and then I started realizing, well, but this is, this is me. And I want to, I want to start making this exercise of capturing these ideas. So I, I was mentioning about on that aspect, my solo record has been therapeutic in that end, which I'm doing something completely different to whatever I've done, but it's the real me. So making stuff that I don't care if it's simple or not. And the funny thing is, it might be simple on its core for me because I understand it. When something is complex for, for one, it means like you don't understand it. But when you do understand it, it's like if I say a weird word right now, I understand the word, so it might be complex for you, but it's not complex for me. But also, in the end, there's a, all the elements of, you know, I always compare music with cooking, that it's on the details for you to, to be moved. And, and at the end, even though maybe in the core is a simple tune and there's nothing wrong with it and accepting that what you're doing it's still very uniquely you because you're adding all these elements and all these decision making that make it entirely you and it make it entirely different to anything else rather than have this idea oh i need to be this i need to do that and then you end up being you know basically the equivalent of being an instagrammer of music where you face tune your face to make you look in a different way Instead of doing, look, this is this way, man. This is what I do. This is it. You know, it, it's it's a very interesting process. I don't know if you can relate to this, but you know. Uh, and again, like I I have been uh, examining the same about myself, and my solution for that was to kind of, kind of like decide on an approach for any particular project. So sometimes I'm I'm taking the intuitive approach. Let's say, like, okay, whatever happens, whatever comes out. Um, is the thing. And uh, funnily enough, those projects are m usually the more successful ones. <laughs> Interestingly <laughs> enough, right? But then sometimes I just don't, don't feel like doing the things I would do automatically, let's say, or, or intuitively, right? So, and I just, and then I, then I come up with some sort of concept that challenges me and so that, that I create something different, right? Just, just to satisfy me, actually, right? But the funny thing is, and I say this as like a meta, uh, thing about what we're just talking about. The crazy thing is that nobody knows what's hard 
or what's what's simple anyway. Like you know, like if you're looking at like some some shredders, like you shred, but it's actually super easy to do that because like you don't hear the individual note and like right. But just playing a beautiful like one beautiful note is much harder, right? Like you know, what I'm talking about, and so Absolutely. so 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 like the like like the, the like the uh, a big part of the audience, let's say they they really don't know anyway what's harder, what's not, or. They don't care. They care about the emotions or the kind of story that the narrative that they create themselves. And so that's why we, as the people who make the music, we shouldn't even concern ourselves with that. And and so that's why I'm totally on your side. So just do what you do, and that's it. And that's the uh, that's the best thing that you can do. You know, to be yourself in that case. Absolutely, man. And I think what you're saying, I am talking about acceptance right i think this is like a topic on this and this uh or has been a recurring topic here um i think it goes with that uh on, on my end i think there's elements that you were saying about the shredding and all that stuff and i've i've done it but it's honestly it's not my focal point it's not a thing that i want to go oh, look i can play million notes and you know so i can impress my friends you know i i really don't like that i i listen to all sorts of music and i i appreciate all sorts of art and generally speaking you know i i long for the one note that make you be like oh my god the lyrics that make you shiver the the music that just paints a picture you know that the, the song when it's energetic or it's like chill or it's melancholic but that those things that you listen and it just stays with you and 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 you listen back. Oh, this is so good, you know. And it becomes part of you as well because it becomes part of your of your of your life as well. You know, you build moments around music, and I think that's the beauty about music. That as a creator, uh, uh, you you creating the the song and and you know the music, and the listener will create its own meaning of it. And I think that's beautiful. You know, that they will create their own memories. They will create their own idea around it. And it is when it becomes, it's no longer yours. It's everyone's. You know, it's 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 as yours as the listeners um but yeah uh accepting that you know in my end that's where i am. i i can shred I, if i want to and sometimes it's fun as you mentioned sometimes you want to like you know have a little lick and yeah why not if if the tune if the music calls for it do it uh but generally speaking my modus operandi is is literally just in terms of sound, for me, sounds. If I'm working as a sound designer, working, at, you know, as a, as a keyboard player, is to paint a picture, and I'm very impressionistic about that. It's just create a sense of space and the textures of the space of like, oh, I want to. I hear like this sounds, you know, purple, or I want this spacious, kind of melancholic, and you know, that's the kind of sounds I approach. So most of the times, you know, and, and especially working with stuff like you know metal or stuff with a lot of guitars. Keyboards is the thing that does that, and it's not very upfront, uh, you know, in your face, uh, like all right, guitar. But it, for me, that's what I get most joy at, you know. And sometimes it's nice to be in the front and be like, you know, blatant, like here I, you know, this is me. Um, but learning to also accept on my end that, to me, that is how I appreciate music, and as a sense of a texture, as as putting the listener in a place, and convey an emotion. And playing maybe sectoplets at 140 BPM, maybe it doesn't paint an emotion. Maybe it does if at that moment you want to have energy, but 
all the time? No. But in the music, as I was saying, the, the kind of genre I've been I've been working on for you know twelve, thirteen years now, there's almost this expectation of of, of doing that. You know, this expectation of 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 uh, shredding and and you know impressing and playing in seven eight and then fifteen sixteen and and it's it takes time to be like, look, if it comes in seven eight, I want to do it in seven eight, right? If it comes in fifteen, I, I brought a song recently. It was in fifteen sixteen. And I'm like, well, that's the way it came out. It's not like I'm trying to be clever. But, you know, it's, it takes time to accept that. I don't know if you were talking about this, but as you were saying, as a, as a creator, the main thing is convey emotions the best way possible. If you need, that means writing, do it. If that means playing the one note, play one note, whatever it is, right? And you see, like, really, the, the we have no control over how things are being perceived anyway. Like, and we, we have no, we have no, uh, I mean, we have, we also have no idea what people hear right. in what we play, what we do. Mm -hmm. And, and for me, that, that has been really sometimes really, uh, beautiful, no, beautiful because it's, it's that, it's that magic. It's that magic of, of, uh, communication without words where the meaning is not the meaning is not important, right? The meaning is like there is a, there is some sort of medium. There is something in the air. Obviously, mm -hmm. there's sound, but it's it's not about meaning. It's not about conveying something in particular. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm not talking about film music here, where they, you have like a certain certain uh, cliches that work, right? Like this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like in the arts, right? And and so so I find I find that just just so wonderful because when I'm on stage playing solo performance, for example, mm -hmm. I can really completely tune out the audience, like in the most positive way. Like I can accept them, acceptance again, accept them to be there in the space with me, and I can just play, you know, not worrying about what they may think or feel, or if it's too long or too short or whatever. And just kind of like go for it, and and it's it's wonderful. I'm really grateful for for the uh, you know that I'm playing with Tony Tony Levin, right? Like, because that gave me an audience. Like and and then to realize, okay, what I do works. You know, it works. And you need to be a little bit brave sometimes to play slowly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like uh, you know. But I I I really think it's just we live in in a wonderful time where. Where there is there is space for this again, you know, you can really, uh, you, it is much more likely to have some sort of success if you do something that's really you, mm -hmm. than trying to be somebody else. And I think um, that's great. I absolutely, I absolutely second that, and and I, it, that takes time because, as you were saying, it takes courage. I was going to say it takes balls because I, that's my favorite word, but it takes definitely balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. It takes balls to um, to be you. It's it it does. It really does because you know going about we're talking about music and musicians and stuff. And you just open Instagram on YouTube and you find hundreds and thousands of of, of guitar players like shredding and you know all that you know. And I get all these, you know, ads by, you know, all these 
cap simulators and all these people playing genty stuff and and you know hardcore whatever i i don't i don't really follow that kind of music but uh it's interesting that you hear oh that sounds good and you listen to the other guy and it's like oh that sounds they all sound the same and they're all ultra quantized so the guitars are ultra quantized the drums are ultra quantized everything is just so uh, uh you know squared and 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 it's funny like i've talked about this with people that you know a, a friend of mine who did a thesis on his master's in music he's a drummer uh he was telling me that you know that in the 90s people were complaining that pop was the most fake thing in the universe right so people were saying oh these guys use autotune these guys are not real you know listen to queen listen to all these people from from the past that were real musicians and you're okay that's a good argument and at this point <laughs> it's the other way around right you know that a lot of this metal is just this uh, that i was you know comparing these musicians as in the instagram trend of trying to look better than you are trying to sound better than you are but along the process, along that process of you trying to be like everyone else, you start sounding like exactly everyone else. So you, by trying to fit so hard and not having, as you were saying, the courage of being like, look, this is what I do, man. This is, this is me. Like, I'm not going to fight it. This is, this is who I am. You end up sounding just like everyone else and looking like everyone else and having the sound of everyone else. And therefore, you're like, okay, you know, this is, this is, and this is even not real. Like, it's a bunch of, Musicians, you listen, of course, you know, me working with audio, you, you know when something is, is, is a real Hello. performance <laughs> and when something is just like computerized and, and everything sounds like a machine. And again, the contradiction here that in the electronic world, people are trying to come up with ways, you know, people play electronic music, EDM or, you know, IDM. We're trying to come up with ways to make scenes and, and the sequencers more human-like. But the people in the acoustic world playing with real hu human instruments and with human chaos and with human mistakes, they're trying to do everything they can to sound as a machine. It's, it's, it's like the wires got crossed at some point and, and one's going to one direction and the other one is going to another direction. Uh, it's, it's very funny. And I it comes to you know what we're saying just to celebrate the uniqueness of of when someone comes up with something that you know sounds different man it's cool it's it's it's, it's a risk because what is you you know like you know as as an exploration of what is possible i really like the use of technology so that's mm -hmm. why you know if you think back to the late 80s early 90s when like the breakbeat stuff started and then you know real drummers learned to play that way so it's cool so in a way i think that's also happening with guitar players and with keyboard players and it's kind of it's kind of a cool thing and i think there is potential for a lot of musicality in that so i'm not i'm not necessarily only seeing it as a negative uh mm. development right but anyway like what what is happen or was what is sometimes sometimes missing is like the artistic integrity right and uh, and but you know on the topic of shredding i like your shredding <laughs> and, <laughs> and and all, and also um you know that i think that that's why the tour we did with devon was so enjoyable because we didn't have a click right uh, um, you know it was just real people playing real music together and it's fascinating when listening back to the recording how, how, yeah. you know, like 
tight it is in a sort of like in a sort of human way, right? Mm. And and for me, when I'm listening to it, I don't notice anything that is wrong. You know, like it just it's it's two things. But you know, going back to this, but firstly, just to clarify, <laughs> I you know I work in production as well, and I use technology. And and as you said, there's things like you can use in your favor, right? You know, I have tape machines, and I've been dreaming of making a production purely on tape, but the implications and the hiss and I'm like, all right, no, you know, and, and studio time and all that stuff. So I, I, I'm totally with you, but I was talking about when the production is based on, not on the actual playing, you know, like I, I've seen guitar players that play in that, in that kind of uh, genre that just record bar by bar and, and just like quantize the DIs and then, so there's no like a real, oh, that's how you sound. Yeah, of course, you can tie it up, your performance. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, we, we all have done it. And, and I think it's, it's a good thing that, you know, you have a good performance. You know what? Just just make it a little bit tighter. And that's it. But I was talking about this now bunch of like really um, ideas of, oh, I don't need to learn how to play this. I can just set this standard super high of something I cannot play by pretending I do and by using technology. So that that's what I was saying. But, you know, uh, and that's what I think is overusing it and not and missing the point that this is about music. It's about your sound and about your expression, right? That's what I'm saying. But you know, there's a lot of a lot of another genre of music, which is electronic music, that is based on basically putting stuff into the sequencer. So, you know, Diego, I think it's it's also about the the motivation with which you are actually creating, uh, and and I've always been kind of like. Uh, you know, well, you know, like some young people that start a band, they may have, they may, they may want to belong to a certain group of people, for example, right? Yeah. Or, or, um, or you like a certain, certain kind of like, uh, certainly when I was young and there were people who, who liked a certain kind of woman and they thought, okay, like this is a, like a goth, yeah. goth rock style and so they start making goth rock you know it's it's interesting like there there may be some other motivations behind it and i think the same is true for the instagram stuff for example with the shredders you know yeah. because there's there's just some, something else that maybe me at my advanced age i don't even understand anymore <laughs> i mean it's still young, right? it's gone. yeah yeah <laughs> but you're you're like 15 years younger or so right like you're 33 or something or 34 just turned 34, 34. yeah 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 yeah, so but there you go. So, <laughs> but what I'm what I'm saying is like the motivations are manifold, you know, like and and that's why I'm trying to um, trying to be as open, let's say, as possible, you know. And I, and I, I am told. I think I can talk about this from both sides. Um, you know, I I grew up playing. Uh, you know. I didn't have a ton of money when I was growing up, so I had one synthesizer that you know my mom gave to me when I was fourteen, and you know after that, she's like, "Okay, you're on your own, do your thing." Uh, so most of the stuff I, I had to, um, you know, I was using. I learned about synthesis with software synthesizers, and that's how I learned. And and I, I started using Fruit Loops uh, back in two thousand and three, maybe before that, two thousand two. Uh, just like cheap software, and I had this horrible computer that I built 
with I think something ridiculous like 500 uh, uh, gigabytes hard drive and something like less than a, meg a gigabyte of RAM and that's what I used and, and, and you know it was crashing but that's how I learned how to do that and then when I went to college and I went to college in London and all of it was you know that's when I started using logic and using all these software synthesizers and started getting heavily into production always been really really into electronic music you know bands like infected mushroom uh they always been like a, one of my favorite bands from all time so just mentioning them for me is enough to to say what kind of stuff i love um and it's only recent uh that i started getting bored by composing in front of a screen clicking a mouse i i hated it like it's just not enjoyable and I spent a good chunk of my life doing that, you know, since I'm talking about since I was like 14, 15 years old, but like much more heavily when I, when I went to uni, when I was 18. So uh, let's just talk about at least, at least 10 years doing that, but I would say 10, 15 years uh, uh, working on, 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 I mean, less than 15, but around that time, working with a computer and just clicking a mouse and just inputting stuff and then listening, you know, and trying to make something creative with 16 bars, but it's, I had this idea that, oh, you know, a spontaneous, spontaneous idea, but then I had to program the drums, program. So the moment was kind of gone. Then when you play with a band, right? That when you'd like, oh, let's try this. I just try it and it happens. And it's just all this interaction that happens in the moment. And I grew up, you know, when, when, I, was, when I was a kid, I used to play guitar as well. So I had bands, we just, you know, we got together every weekend and just, it will take us months to write a song because it will be on the weekend. It would take us four or five months to write a song. But it was a process that everywhere we come back and you know maybe the first hour of the of the rehearsal will be relearning the tune because we forgot and no one will practice and then you know coming out with ideas and eventually the song will finish it was more like a collage rather than a song but that's what it was but that idea i started missing and i felt the language barrier in this kind of uh interaction was something that i felt that i was leaving a big part of me behind because I needed to be very analytical and using this part of my brain to input the stuff and learn the commands and all these things. And when I started realizing, you know, I don't, I don't like that. Funny enough, it's uh, about five years ago uh, when my computer malfunction, it, it broke on a tour and I didn't have a computer for like, I don't know, two, three uh, months because, you know, I was claiming insurance and all that kind of stuff. I realized, all right, I have all this stuff here. I have synthesizers, I have drum machines, I have a ton of stuff that I've been collecting. And the way this is working is like, all of this stuff is going towards logic. So logic is on oh, my computer, it's almost as if it's a center brain. And I'm just here manipulating and trying to, you know, please the God of logic because logic is telling me to do this and logic is telling me you cannot do this. And logic is telling me the way things should be done so I'm adapting myself into this. Uh, and then I realized, okay, I don't have a computer, so I might as well try to do something. So that's when I started kind of synchronizing my whole studio, uh, my effects, and it took me a while. I had to, you know, like diagrams and how to synchronize sending a clock and sending MIDI clock and sending a CV and sending MIDI and my master controller and my sequencers and how they're going to talk to each other. So it took me a while. I had to do like diagrams about that. But then I started kind of messing around with it. And, and I was like, oh my, this is so much fun because then I will be jamming. Every day I was jamming during that time and recording those jams and they became like uh, 
centerpieces for for like a composition, but that was the initial stuff. Um, so I was I was you know I had this uh, audio interface that I can record what's going on in the master boss. So I was like okay, but then when I was jamming, I was doing oh I wish I had this synth here. So I moved that synth there, and then I was the next day I was playing around is. Oh, I feel like I need to connect this sequencer here. It feels more organic. So I did that. And so all of a sudden, I ended up in this space that it basically was an external representation of my brain, where I was in control of the whole thing. So eventually, when I got my laptop back, I was like, I love this. Because even though I'm interacting with machines, those machines are set up in a way that feels intuitive and almost as if I'm having a conversation, even though it's all me. I don't want to have logic as my centerpiece because this is the experience I've, I've been longing for for so many years to feel this, this deep attention and stuff you're doing on the go and, and this element of being in the moment, the flow state. So I, I find ways, you know, getting too technical in, 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 to synchronize logic, to be my slave, not to be the master right so at this point the whole thing even logic became a thing that is part of this machinery but is not the centerpiece that is telling me what to do so that's what i'm talking about this this whole thing for me this experience the experience of of the in the moment the intuition the same thing with synthesizer i started craving for synthesizers that have a interface that i can create muscle memory and i can jump and and, and do it because it becomes, once you get familiar with it, it becomes part of your expression. So that's been my story. That's been my kind of my journey in, in this aspect of detaching myself from that. And of course, I record. And then when I mix, I mix in the, in the machine. And I love it because it's super powerful and it's much better than I could do with the, the rack units I have here. Uh, but, you know, I, I hope that paints a picture of where I'm coming from that I, I don't want to come across as someone who hates technology. Quite the opposite. It, it's just saying that, it can distance you a little bit from the from the process itself, and and you know it's it's uh, and I remember that we talked about that a couple of years ago. Uh, there is a tradition of electronic music that started in the you know like popular electronic music, let's say that started in the late sixties, and um, like there was the German scene from Berlin, right? And and that was the way they sort of had to do it. Like it was the hardware that they had to somehow kind of integrate into a setup that enabled you to create in the moment, to play, really, to really play with it. Mm -hmm. And and that is, I think it's absolutely, it's it's not an old-fashioned concept at all. No. Like, you know, you have your musical instruments, and even, like you say, without that brain, you don't need a brain, you know? Like, the, all these pieces are standalone mm -hmm. instruments. Mm -hmm. So yes, you can bring them together in a brain, but all you need is a mixer. All you need is, is a, an analog mixer that takes the signals and, you know, so you can hear them at the same time. Yeah. And, and well, you added, you know, you have the added benefit of MIDI control and stuff like that, of course. So you're creating some sort of like network of devices mm -hmm. rather than, rather than this is the centerpiece that controls everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, I think it's, it is really. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't so aware that it's. Uh, <laughs> uh, but now, now that you mention it, I can see that there's. There, there are probably a lot of people that have set it up in the way that you have left behind. You know, with the centerpiece and the the software being the 
the headmaster of everything. You know? Yeah. And as I was saying, like the communications stuff that the limitations that happen, we, we give so much power to when we, you know, we're working with a DAW, uh, even though it might be something trivial and in theory, all of them do the same thing, but they are, they have limitations, right? And there's, they of course have a huge advantage, but there's limitations as well in terms of brain flow, right? The way you can, you can think about, oh, I want to do this and, and being in control of it, it really puts you in a position of power where you can use the best of all worlds instead of what you were saying that the way I had it was everything communicates with my computer and then my computer out. But at no point, the things communicate kind of just with me and the decisions I'm making. And if I want, I can do that. And, and now I, I got to the point where I'm having this hybrid setup that, you know, if, I, if I'm working on a production, uh, right now I'm, I'm working on a production that has like kind of electronic pop sort of vibe. I'm doing keyboards and, and, and sound design. Uh, I have the, you know, the synchronized time coming out of logic. So it's synchronized with my project. So you, maybe I will use a sequencer inside of one of my synthesizers as you were saying, the standalone and the hands on aspect of like recording the performance, uh, uh, it just adds so much to it. Like, uh, too long ago, I was working on a tune as well. And, and I got this little, um, might be something really stupid, but this little filter here that I bought on eBay actually came from Germany. So Deutschland filter. Um, and uh, Elisus. Yeah, it's a very old fashioned. I bought it super cheap. I was looking for a stereo filter. It sounds actually very good. Uh, and I've been using productions on my on my audio interface. Instead of recording a, a, an automation within Logic and I actually perform the automation. So I have like the, the sound coming out of my interface into it and back into it and I record that. And it might be something very trivial, but the fact that you first doing it, you put so much, you almost get in a performance of, it's a filter sweep for maybe eight bars and you're moving that, but you're like, oh, I didn't like that, I'll try again. And then you get in the flow of it and the sound of the filter and why you're moving and your hand movement and you get into that stuff and you record that back. But also, you commit to it. You record it, that's it. So you're happy with it. There's no like, oh, I'm going to modify the automation. So for me, that I someone who maybe can overanalyze things, setting stuff into stone, it's also super helpful because I don't have time to second guess. Maybe sometimes I remove stuff I added, maybe this is not needed or stuff like that. But, you know, so that makes me feel like when I'm recording one part, I record mostly audio. I don't record media anymore. And being okay, this is good. That's it. I can move on. So the same thing with automation. And when I use uh, outboard gear, just like you know, sort of reverb I love uh, from this unit from the '80s I have here on snares, and I just bounce it back, and that's it. So my setting of the reverb becomes when I'm setting that before I record the reverb, almost like a ritual when I'm paying all this attention to to this small detail. And again those decision-making uh, moves and all the stuff I'm doing, in the end, adds to all the little spices I individually added. And they all add up. Instead of, and the end of, oh, I'm going to change the reverb, but maybe my, that reverb I chose made me choose a different sound for the kick reverb, for instance. No? But if I change that in the end, then I, all this decision chain I made based on all those things, it falls apart. So for me, also being able to put it down, 
write down and forget about it also is very powerful instead of opening a project loads of media and you know loads of effects that you can change i mean i'd rather just commit to it when i'm mixing of course i use automation but you know what i mean but I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you <laughs> because you know obviously that that has been the, the bane of of music production like this that, that people have completely forgotten about the performative aspect of recording and mixing and and as you say committing to a sound also mm -hmm. to have sort of like uh, uh some like sort of articulation in your parts right like what happens is nowadays like everybody like talking about guitarists again like you record everything at the same level and then you automate to get like but why don't you play quieter in this section play louder in another right something like that and you know since i started producing for other people around 2008 or 2007 and wow. uh, and from the very beginning what I did was because that was the time when when uh, DAW started getting a little bit more powerful, and and people were just recording dead dead stuff. Everything was dead, like you know, like in the in the production process. So I was forced to, and just like what you were de describing, and I still do that. I'm reamping, and what I mean by that is not reamping like a guitar that goes through another amp. But I take a pedal, something that adds something or takes something away, and I re-record it through it. And as it's recording, I'm actually moving the knobs. So I'm adding a, a layer of, me of meaning, of performance on top of what's already there in order to get rid of the stiffness of the, of the quantized stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And and that has been for me like really kind of like a successful approach, and it's it's an old approach. It's like the like at least I know of, of Brian Eno having like this in the seventies, like a like a board with with funnels and and uh, all sorts of different tubes, and like he could put microphones and send signals through these filters, mm -hmm. right? And I, I really love that approach. And that, that's why I have a pedal collection because I love reamping snares, I, kick drums. Which I love, by the way. Your pedal collection, your pedal board is one of my favorite things in the world. It sounds so good. So sorry, sorry to interrupt, <laughs> but definitely <laughs> needs to be said. Yeah. But, but you know, like I think it's, it's really, it's, you're absolutely right. You know, this aspect of it, this, the hands onness, as you call it, right? It, it is, it is so important. And like we should really try to, um, try to get back to that somehow. And I think people are I mean, like, I think really people are coming back. I don't to that. think, I mean, uh, and if this podcast, you know, that was listening and watching this, uh, I honestly, that's a thing I've been, I was told when I was a student. And as I told you, I came from a mostly a digital background. Uh, the thing, the first thing that I had was in core N1, which I still have. I don't want to get rid of it. No M N for no one. That was the first one I had. And I don't want to get rid of it because it has so much emotional value for me. Uh, even though i mean i still use it but it's not essential in my in my in my uh, setup but i mostly come from a, a digital background and when i was at uni i mostly had when i was first i studied like contemporary music and then moved to uh sound design and music production and most of my tutors were uh, djs and most of them were like you know on their 50s uh 40s uh really good guys and and most of them would go on and on about that you know they would go on about hardware gear is great like they would say oh the 1176 sounds amazing and my head was like what do you mean sounds amazing it's just a compressor you know it controls volume oh no but side the, the la2a sounds great on vocals or we're talking about oh the ssl uh eq sounds so good 
those ones are character. And I was like, oh, I don't care about this, you know? And I never paid too much attention to it until I started experiencing firsthand how it sounds and, and the aspect of the hands-on as we were talking about and how this is very important in the creative process because we're talking about decision-making. And back in the day, as you were saying, that's what would make a good producer. You know, that's because the microphone choice and the amp choice and the room choice and the you know, echo chambers, if they had any, uh, all that stuff were little decisions along the way of how much gain you're going to put on the SSL. That's going to give you a flavor. So also the unit gives you a, a flavor, but how much little gain and all these little things in the end piled up and all this decision-making was, you know, is what used to make a good producer. And as we're talking about nowadays, you don't have that, but also putting attention into all these little things that maybe you don't see outside, you know, talking about going back to this example of, of the filter sweep I was, I was mentioning, I can assure you if I play that track to you, okay, it's a filter sweep, <laughs> but for me, it has a lot of meaning as well. And, and that is also very important because it makes the process enjoyable and it makes it a thousand times more enjoyable than sitting here and just like, okay, so I'm going to draw a line, my computer, you know, to me, I'm getting a better performance because everything in that tune, every sonic aspect was overseen by me. Every decision I made, the compressor I put when I was tracking the kick drum on my drum machine and, you know, the settings I did, I might have spent some time doing that. But, and I, you know, do the old fashioned way of taking pictures if I need to recreate that, taking pictures of, of what compressor settings I did. But in the end, like not only the musical elements, but the, the sound choice, the effects, the effect settings, the effect movement, as you were saying, the performance, just maybe I will record the, the track and then do another, like, you know, a real life performance of the controls on my synthesizers to add more movement and more life. So in the end, you end up with this thing that is a complete thing that is not recreable. You know, you cannot recreate that if you were only using a, a, a computer. And we're talking about also being unique and all that stuff. And it's such a fun element. So I was saying, anyone that has not tried it, just try it. And you'll see it's so, so much fun. It's much more fun than sitting down in front of a computer drawing lines. You know, it's almost like working with Excel spreadsheets almost now for me. That's how it feels. So anyway, fun. Yeah, I can see you smiling. <laughs> it seems like you, you know what I'm talking about. That we're geeking yeah. hard here. Of, of course. Yeah, you know, my, my friend Benny, who I've been producing with for almost 13 years now, mm -hmm. uh, he, he bought this huge Digitech uh, controller, which looks like a mixing desk, but it's actually just a controller. Nice. But, it, but it gives him like the same experience as if it was a real thing. And, and actually, like, if a sense he has that thing, we actually write the volumes, you know, it's not, it's not like drawing lines anymore on the computer, but we sit there, like each of us puts a few fingers on faders and we listen through and we, we write the levels. And I mean, that's <laughs> great. No, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's, and that's one of the things I told when I was uni is that back in the day, a mix was a performance. It was, yeah. I think Brian Eno said like he was, I think it was Brian Eno that he also would say that his instrument was the SSL. I think it was Brian Eno. If I'm misquoting, I'm sorry, Brian Eno. But you know, his ins instrument he was playing is also the SSL because a good mix also back in the day when you were printing into a two-track, it was literally just, you know, they would maybe practice the whole mix and, and, and trying to, you know, get the automation in real life or record the automation, you know, later on when things were a little bit more um, 
sophisticated. But yeah, so you know, I know exactly what you mean, and, and and it's 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 funny that a lot of you know a lot of musicians we actually come to that conclusion eventually as well. Like we we see the the value in on those things, you know, to to make the experience enjoyable, and it's it it translates somehow. Maybe the listener doesn't doesn't notice. Oh, I can hear that we're doing the ride with the fingers, you know. The but it translates in the sense of the whole thing. It was more enjoyable. And everything, every step on the way, you pay attention to, and you put like your whole attention into it, and you put your, you know, physical movement or moving the faders or saying all that stuff. So it becomes uh, a very, it's almost like cooking a good dish, you know, like all the spices were there, all the spices there. And it, the flavor in the end, it's different that when, you know, your grandma cooked than when you bought the same dish in the restaurant, you know, because the grandma put attention to every element of, you know, I miss my grandma cooking because she was the best, but you know, like, you know, grinding the pepper and doing the little chili peppers and that, you know, whereas in the restaurant, it's like, all right, I need to finish this. I have a ton of them. There you go. It's more like a generic sort of aspect. Anyway, that's my comparison. I was comparing. It's, 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 it's a good, it is, it is a good metaphor and uh, analogy. I, I, I agree. I totally agree. And so uh, let me ask you a little bit, because I don't think we talked about that much in the past. So let's just come to um, just say playing technique, right? So so your technique and like when I, when I say technique, I'm not talking about playing fast or whatever. Like I'm talking about the totality of what makes you a great keyboard player. Okay, that's what I mean. Um, so when you have like longish tours, right? And you have... You, you need to deliver every night. Um, how, did, how, did you, how did you get there? I mean, in your, like really your personal history, how did you train yourself to become who you are in terms of the physical aspect of playing? Uh, yeah, that's, I think that's a very good question. And there's, first of all, I would say I had the advantage of being a keyboard player and I'm not a drummer. Because drummers, they need the stamina of a bull. You know, they need to be like banging things and you know hard and for two hours. And uh, drummers have a tough gig. In my end, I, as I was saying, you know, exercise. I do a ton of exercise, especially you know, like every time I go on tour, we talked about this. Like you always get the pizza after show, and you know, like it's unhealthy. And when I, as soon as I come back from tour, I will start exercising in, in nice and all those things. Um, also, I live in a city that it's uh, something stupid, like 3,000 meters above the sea level. So that I, when I come back, and I could smoke in as well a long time ago, but also when I come back from a tour, when I come back from being away as well, you know, I spent, when the pandemic started, I spent almost uh, five months in, uh, at my fiance's parents' house in, in, in New Jersey. So it's almost sea level. So when I, and I was biking every day, almost every day. And, and when I came back here and I started going back to the gym, I was like, my God, I want to speed my lungs out, but definitely living above, I mean, such high altitude uh, and, you know, going hikes and stuff, it really gives me a lot of stamina. Uh, and that, those are the important elements just to have, you know, you know, doing a little, uh, I mostly do cardio. Um, but when it comes to the, the touring and stuff, I, I love, I mean, I'm a very energetic person on stage uh, because I, I love music. It's just a thing I love so much. And, and, and that special music that, that that moves me, you know, when you play on stage and you have a good beat, and, and it's just a thing that happens, and and you know, it's part of, I guess, it's part of my expression as well. 
as you know, keyboard player, you're a little bit detached from your instrument. You know, a, a guitar player is making the strings oscillate directly, right? That you you have a very intimate relationship with your instrument, and you know, leave alone a, a vocalist that is literally his instrument or she's instrument, right? As a keyboard player, you're somehow limited because you are pressing buttons. That's all you do, right? And and in a typical sense of the word, you know, you think about a piano player, it's even worse because it's like your only expression is how hard you press a button. That's it. <laughs> That's there's nothing else. As you know, uh, string players, they have this thing where they can just elongate a note and add intensity and vibrato and all those things that makes it beautiful. Piano players like bam, bam. That's it, and it's very horrible. So, I guess also like physically for me, like when I'm on stage, it's like I try to make my instrument also my body a part of the expression of what I'm doing. People cannot see what I'm playing, but people can see that I'm enjoying it, and people can see that I'm because I'm genuinely enjoying it. It's not that I'm doing it for. And so one of the things like I'm very animated, and that can get tiring, uh, uh, you know. Or you know, I was in Australia a couple of years ago, and I was like head banging as I do. And I hit my forehead with the edge of my keyboard, and I started bleeding on the stage. <laughs> it was very, and I was like, "An old Dizzy." Oh, interesting story as well. Talking about Dizzy, when we recorded that uh, DVD with uh, Devin Townsend in London, I don't know if you remember this, but we had a microphone to call, you know, just to talk to the the, the Sam, the the uh, monitor guy. Halfway through the show, I feel like I was fainting because of the light. I'm not a fainty person, but I, I just feel, and I had to tell uh, Sam, hey man, I feel like I'm fainting. Give me something with sugar. And he gave me a Coke. I, I never drink Coke, but he gave me a Coke and, and that's what I did. So that was the thing where like, okay, you need to turn down a little bit because uh, all this light, I sweat a, a lot. But the thing is what I try to be is focused mentally. I, I Typically, I would do some sort of meditation before going on stage. I'm not a new age person in that regard, but I, I really like to kind of bring my my adrenaline back, being focused, like thinking about singularities, you know, like focusing on my breath, focusing on on on, on what I'm doing before getting on stage, stretching my arms, being very relaxed. So it's almost like being in a good fight. I used to do martial arts in the past, but anyway, that when, when you're in a battle, you're body needs to be on fire, but your mind needs to be very quiet. So you have to be ready to do what you're doing. You know, you have to be active and sharp, but if you're stressed out, you stress a whole mechanism. So in my head, being relaxed mentally allows me to have a slow paced mind that is very vigilant of what I'm doing and what I'm, you know, because I have a lot of things to think about and troubleshoot on, on the spot as well. You know, I can tell you many, many stories where my rig has malfunctioned in the middle of a show and it's like, oh my God, I'm playing, but I need to think about it. And, you know, so kind of being on that and also keeping my, my fingers as relaxed as possible. So I try not to play very hard. And that was a problem I used to do in the past. I used to really have that intensity I had, but also have that intensity on my forearms and my wrists. And eventually I started having problems with tendonitis. So I had to learn to keep the mechanism on my fingers very relaxed, economizing as much as I can in movement uh, in terms of not really playing too hard. That's what I was saying. I'm not a drummer. A drummer has to play hard. You cannot fake playing hard on the drums. With a keyboard plays, you can. You just dial the sound differently. Um, so keeping my fingers relaxed, 
so I can play a good show and I can focus on what I'm playing. And and in those moments when I go crazy and I start, you know, smashing the keyboard, then you know, fine, you know. But most of the time, I try to be relaxed so I can I can be in the music, and that comes a lot with a lot of preparation, a lot of practice. Whereas the music becomes second nature, almost like driving. So I can have a conversation whilst I'm driving. You know, that's the best metaphor I can because it becomes an automatic process. So now the conversation is with the public, but you making that connection and, and you like, you know, or interacting with the other musicians or listening or, or like that tour we're talking about with Devin, which there was a lot of improvisation involved. That was beautiful because every night was different, right? And every night, every night, you had to kind of really connect with your surroundings and you know that was that was really beautiful but yeah i think those things are key it's i think it's a long long answer and and i tend to talk about these things but you know no it's it's good you know like there are two points that uh, i found very interesting so first of all when you when you're talking about relaxation or relaxing your hands or fingers in this case mm. um <clears throat> what i found for myself um and but also when i when I'm working with other people, is that the concept of what what actually the relaxation feels like within your own body is something that is not so easily accessible. Like it's something that you kind of like sometimes have to even learn because yeah. somehow somehow like your 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 point of reference really of what is relaxed maybe is still very very tense. <laughs> but you know like for me maybe it feels like i'm relaxed but actually like if somebody else comes and feels like says oh wow that's incredibly tense but you know it's because it's relative it's mm -hmm. relative so do, do you do you have a tip or an idea or anything you can say about that like how can how do you know that your mind well but maybe let's start with the fingers first or then wrists that they are relaxed is there is there any do you, how, when and how do you know that you're relaxed? About connection, uh, like a mental connection with your whole mechanism. Uh, my actual warm-up exercise is a very simple one. And, you know, I have that my students do it. I don't do my warm-up exercise in like bigger pages. And, no, it's like literally sitting down and putting your fingers like that. And then moving one finger at a time, but making sure, being very vigilant, and know the part of your wrist, know your fingers is moving. And this is, I found this is a mostly like a mental exercise where you're making building this connection with these tiny muscles of your of your fingers, and then focus on the rest of the stuff. So for me, making that connection, I think, is super important. And those exercises, like I remember, I had like you know a young student once, and, and he was asking me like, "Oh yeah, so what do you do?" And he was maybe on his uh, mid teens or late teens, and and you could tell his thing was, "I want to learn how to shred, dude." And so I was just giving this example, this exercise I do, and and, and he looked at me and was like, um, "Really? Does that make you play the way you play?" And I was like, okay, man, all right, here you go, play this like a scale, and I was like, "All oh, right, that's great," but. Uh, because in reality, it doesn't seem like much, but I think mentally it really makes me be connected with that. The more connected I with with all the movements I'm making, I can then be vigilant when I'm playing and it becomes the nature. I grew up with very bad technique. I was playing very tense all the time until I started developing in the 90s. Uh, and that's when I, you know, 
a lot of things happened, but you know, I had to go to physiotherapy. They gave me some exercise as well that to this day I'm still using uh, when I'm I'm tensing. Uh, but also learning as well the science behind tendonitis and how every movement is, that every moment is tension and release. And basically when you have tendonitis is when you have tension for a long, long time. Tendons are like little elastic bands that you normally, you know, stretch them and you let them go. And that's key, that, that mentality, because what happens with, I started getting tendonitis is when I was tense for such a long time. So when you let go, what happens is that's, you know, that band is kind of loose now. So having that in my mind, I actually had to kind of relearn how to play and relearn about my my patterns and my physiognomy as well. Like as a keyboard player, I tend to be like that all the time because my hands are like this all the time. So when I'm walking, I tend to remind myself about these things. Um, but having that idea and keeping that in mind, then I started noticing of, okay, so this movement of just moving one finger at a time, is like, okay, focusing on the tension and release of only this finger or maybe the next finger, and starting getting used to that sense. So when I'm playing, I always try to keep in mind that movement. So when I'm practicing, I do a lot of playing very slow and exaggerating the tension release. For instance, if I was playing octaves without getting too technical here, but I used to do octave tense all the time. And the actual good exercise is playing the octave and then release the tension and then practice that very slowly until that becomes a nature. A second nature. Uh, so it's all these little things that when you're on a stage, you kind of kind of monitor yourself and oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. And sometimes I tense, I still do it, especially when emotions like, you know, happen. But most of the times I, I can I can do that and, and try to practice that playing as soft as possible as well. So when I'm playing on stage, I can last three hours, you know, that's what we were doing. I was on stage for three hours and, and, and I was fine. And just, just practicing those things to keep relaxed. That's, I used to practice for a long time with a sign in front of my, when I was to my piano that said, relax your shoulders. And that was a problem I had all the time. I mean, that was all the time is relax your shoulders, relax your shoulders. And it's finally come to the point where I know. So short answer is, making the connections and knowing the that idea of of tense and release like every movement in order to be healthy you have to do both things the tension and release beautiful beautiful answer <laughs> beautiful answer <laughs> okay. could it could it could have been me saying that exact same thing oh really <laughs> yeah That's yeah, yeah. you know on the on the touch instrument i call it touch release okay know? yeah and actually i have a third a third movement in it which is actually called move so it's touch, release, move. So it means like energy in, energy out, and do whatever and mm -hmm. go to the next. And that's touch, release, move. Touch, release. So you actually compl let completely go of the, of the tension even after you release. Because what happens to a lot of people is that they release, but they, have, uh, uh, they, they keep tension. Like, you know, but then you need to give you allow yourself even that third step that means, okay, so now I just go and play the next note. And as I go and play the next note, that's when the tension comes back in and I touch the note and there is the tension for the duration of the note, or let's say even for only for the attack of the note. And after that, it's all relax, release, move around, you know, so. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And, and and then it comes to, um, I use uh, of this phrase from this book that's called uh, Mixing With Your Mind, but I think this is Australian author, I don't remember the name. Uh, 
it's just basically the psychology of mixing and, and, and not really about like frequencies. It's more about stuff. But it's a phrase he repeats a lot throughout the whole book. And, and he says that the aim is to create a maximum illusion with minimum voltage, which makes all the sense when you're mixing, you're trying to you know, make something sound huge without overcrowding the mix, you know, all those kind of things. But I, in this sense, that's kind of a mentality I, I, I try to use as well. So have the maximum illusion with the minimum movement, economize as much as I can on my strength and my movement. So if I only need to move one finger, I'll move that one finger and try to only move that one finger because the moment I move something else, I'm wasting energy that I could use for a three hour set. Um, so yeah, that exercise you're talking about, like also it's, it, it kind of goes what I was saying about the octaves, which is like tense release. And then you move to kind of make sure you're completely off the tracks, but it's great. It's funny that we come to similar sort of, uh, conclusions doing different things. That's, that's very, very cool to hear. Yeah. No, I think, I think what we're talking about are principles. They don't, they apply to anything. True. I really, I really think they do. True. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. And, um, uh, so can you can you talk about this new project? I mean, um, is is uh, so you have the solo project you said, and you've been writing for a new project. Is that a new band project or? Okay. It's, a new, it's a new band uh, band at the moment. I uh, still will not not going to disclose much, but more mostly that uh, is mostly almost done writing it. Uh, we're about to book studio uh, and five piece. Uh, and just with people that are friends of mine, some of them I've worked with them before, some of them I never worked with them before, but they're all like friends of mine in, in, in industry. And uh, uh, I'm very excited. It's, it's sounding very good. It's been all this time on the pandemic, just sending stuff. And, and literally yesterday, we, I had a, a call with a couple of them looking into booking studio uh, for actually now doing the actual production. So it's very exciting. And, and, and that's, uh, that's the first time I talk about it publicly. So there you go, uh, about this. It's, it's a fun. premiere. And um, uh, where, where, do you know where you're going to record? You know which studio or? Yes, I know, but I don't want to disclose. This. I'm no, no, you don't. You know, you don't have. You know, don't have to say it. I was just. I'm just curious. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Cool. Definitely across the pond. That's 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 what's happening. So it's known despite of the the world. Um, so yeah, it's exciting. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you're you're in Mexico right now, right? Mexico yeah, City. Correct. correct. And uh, like you, <laughs> you reminded me of the. Um, uh, you know, the altitude there, because it was so funny, like a couple, you know, I was there, maybe I don't even remember four or five times. Um, mm -hmm. And like, you know, like, sometimes I'm wondering, like, why do I feel so strange? And then I realized, oh, yeah, the altitude, right? But there, there were like whole stays where I was there, like for three, four days. And I didn't even think about it. <laughs> like, and I didn't, didn't notice it. Um, and, and how, uh, how are things in in Mexico at the moment, like with the pandemic and stuff, like, is it, have um, people, have people been responding, um, in a good yeah. way, let's say, or no. Yeah. I mean, it's very funny because when the pandemic started, uh, I was in the middle of a tour in the U S and as I mentioned, I think no one ever imagined it was going to go for this long, right? It went to oh, a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. I'll be back in the summer. Uh, so I ended up like, uh, when it got aborted, uh, I went to, uh, Katie's uh, parents' house in New Jersey and, uh, because I was waiting for my equipment to come back and Katie was there. So, and then, you know, uh, Katie's parents were very happy to have me over. So it was, it was nice. 
and they live in a beautiful places uh, in the forest in the, the woods there's like literally bears and uh deer you see walking around so it's very cool you know compared to me being a cedar rat all my life i live in london i live in mexico city which is you know i'm a cedar rat it was very nice to see um and i when things started getting serious and more serious with the pandemic uh when i you know people start realizing oh this is this is a real thing because at the beginning people were dubious which is oh this is silly you know that was march only a few months after it kind of broke down on, on china so it was still people very 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 skeptical and myself included to be honest we never seen anything like that so like, okay whatever and uh things started getting bad in the us uh noble relief well, well katie's parents live uh, but you know around and then okay, you know, I'm not, I don't feel very comfortable going back to, to, to Mexico because I fear that things are going to be worse than anywhere else there. Uh, and eventually, you know, I came back, uh, over a year ago and I think August and when I came back, there was like, I think last year there was a big, big, big wave. And I heard of a ton of people or relatives of people I know that were passing away. Uh, so I think. There were the parties and you know mexicans are all about the parties man and <laughs> if one thing you know we know how to do right is have a good party uh but, you know you had dia de muertos you had uh independence day you have christmas so uh you know being a, a deeply re religious country mostly catholic um it also you know people celebrate a lot of stuff and December, like I remember, I, I, I was I spent Christmas in in New Jersey last year, and, and remember hearing on one weekend after Christmas, the brother of a friend of mine died, and uh, a bass player I knew before died of COVID, and it was like wow, it's people my age, and it was really terrifying. Uh, so it, it was really dark, and I think, I think once that started happening, unfortunately, once people kind of thought, like, okay, this is real. Uh, so to this day, most people, you go outside and, and most people are wearing masks and more people are just being careful. Bars are open and, you know, <laughs> the things like that. But funny enough, uh, I, I travel a lot to visit my, uh, my fiance's family in the U.S. And I've been to um, Wisconsin and I've been to uh, New Jersey and other parts. And it's like the pandemic never existed. So you go to these places and, you know, you get an Uber and says like, okay, you're required to wear a mask and you get in the Uber and the Uber drivers, I don't care. Don't wear it. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's really weird. Uh, and, and even in the airports and stuff like, you know, is you see it immediately. That is a different mentality. And I guess, I don't know, it's, it's, it's for me, it was surprising at this point it's surprising that people were like, okay, this is real. Let's just, let's just do it. Uh, compared to other parts of the world when people are like, all right, let's just put that behind us. Uh, but I don't know what's going on in Germany. I've heard right now they just announced a new lockdown, uh, don't they? I I've been following that over the last week. So it's crazy. You know, the numbers are, are up for sure. And I, you know, like the, the interesting thing is like I have, um, I have sort of like, uh, uh, you know, just decided for myself uh, to kind of lock myself down or, you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't really because, because like the way that you know, I think like, I don't know how to say it, but there's like some sort of responsibility that we have. Right. So it's not about the state telling us to go on a lockdown. Really. Ideally, if we were all like self-actualized human beings, everyone would just kind of like do the, do the right thing more or less. Right. 
um, we know that that doesn't work out. Um, and so there needs to be, uh, uh, you know, some sort of executive telling you to kind of stay at home or whatever. And I remember like talking to a friend at the very beginning of the pandemic. And, and he said to me, like, if everybody in the whole planet would stay at home for two weeks, this thing would be gone. <laughs> and he was kind of right. But, but you know, it didn't get to that. <laughs> I know. And it's, it's crazy because I totally agree with you. And, and you know, the whole thing, I think got out of hand. I'm not in a position to talk about politics because I'm not a politician, but I do think that the fact that a matter of health became a politic affair, I think that was when things went wrong because there's nothing, you know, like since when cancer became a thing about politicians to discuss of whether left or right, it's something you need to deal with. I'm not comparing this with it. I'm just saying that health is one thing that, has I don't think it needs to be uh, uh, put on a pol uh, politician's hand uh, agenda, but that's what happened. And you know, I have a, a couple; they're, they're really good friends of mine who live in Australia. They're Mexicans, and been, they've been living in Australia for I don't know six, seven years now. And uh, the lockdowns there were savage; uh, they were really strict. Uh, um, and I was talking to them, and they were like, "Yeah, we're not allowed to walk." Uh, beyond, I think, one mile uh, perimeter to where they live. I don't remember the the, the 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 distance, so please don't hate me, people, if I got it wrong. But they had this, they had this, this, this restriction. Um, and, uh, and they were super tough, but what happened is it was, well, we're still in lockdown again and again and again, because there was always one rebel that didn't want to listen to, to, to the authorities and, you know, so there were lockdowns, over lockdowns, and over lockdowns, and over lockdowns. And initially, you were thinking, okay, Australia is doing the right thing. They've been super, you know, harsh with it. Uh, but the results were not as different than maybe the rest of the world. And it really makes you think. I'm pretty sure in a few years' time, there must be some sort of uh, uh, behavioral psychology sort of study of this phenomenon because every country had a different strategy. Well. To say Mexico had a strategy is a stretch, but you know every country had sort of a thing they had to do, um, and uh, they all have a different mindset and they have a different thing to do, whether you know it was a political agenda or not. Uh, but the results were not that different in the end, and I think that's remarkable. Uh, I don't know, I don't know the info. I'm pretty sure, and I'm looking forward that you know in a few years' time. Of, of, of seeing all the studies, like the, the behavior, uh, human behavior studies of, of what happened here, because I think, I think it's very interesting. At least I think it's very interesting. I don't know what, what you feel about that. Okay. Right. Interesting. Yeah. And, and I really think there's no, there's really like no answer also, like in a way we just, every one of us needs to try to stay, um, sane, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, that's sane and safe. Yeah. And, but there's, it's always like a little bit of a trade-off. You need to kind of like see, okay, what, what works, what doesn't work. And, and I, I acceptance, right? Like it's about acceptance again, and also about acceptance and respect for other people. Sure. And, and I think like we can all learn uh, quite a bit in this phase, but let's see. I just, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, for you it was different. I was I was in, in Tokyo 
when the lockdown in Japan oh, wow. started. I was wow. supposed to be on a tour. Yeah, originally it was going to be China, Japan, and Hong Kong, and <laughs> and so we were in Japan, and um, uh, it was the thir Thursday morning when we got together in the lobby in the hotel, and we got the phone call. They said, "Okay, like on on Saturday, there's going to be a lockdown in Japan." So we only played one show on the Friday night, <laughs> and. Um, and so I knew immediately that this is going to, that this was going to last a long, long time because like the way that people in Tokyo were reacting, like the streets were empty. Wow. Wow. And it was uh, like the, we had 400 tickets sold for the show and only 60 people showed up for the show, something like that. So I knew something is going on. And then I stayed for like another four days in the city till I, till my flight went back. Or, uh, uh, so it was like the Wednesday or something. And I drove to Narita airport on like in a, on a bus. Um, and the, the motorway was empty and I got to the, got to the airport and on my way from the check-in to the gate, I maybe saw 15 people at Narita airport. So I knew, I knew something wow. is, something is, something's really, it's really real. You know, it is happening. It's real. And then I, I remember I had to, uh, had a uh, layover in Helsinki and in Helsinki, everything was normal. <laughs> so, so in that moment I knew, okay, so this thing is going to come over, come up all over here, all over the place. It's going to be all over the world in a couple of weeks. And that's what happened. Right. And then it took a long time for people to realize what to do. And, you know, but I knew, I knew this is going to, this is going to take a couple of years, like, or more. That's what I was thinking from the very beginning. Wow. Yeah. Oh man. I wish I had your, uh, analytical powers. I mean, of course your, your experience was hugely different that you were in the epicenter of where things were starting and you saw, okay, this is serious. And I remember on that tour, uh, I was on tour with with uh, Devin Townsend, Hickey was poor, and and I remember Devin was very worried about it, uh, you know. And we're talking about that was that was in February uh, two thousand twenty-one, no two thousand twenty. Sorry, no, not this year, the year before. Uh, and uh, we were on the production rehearsal before the tour, and and I remember he was he was telling me, "Look, I am, I am very worried about this man, this thing." And I at that point I heard about it, you know, somewhere in the news, and you know, so like it was something happening in China, but you know, I was in the middle of moving houses and I was in the middle of the floor, like, okay, well, we hear about that, you know? Uh, and at that point to me, his reaction sounded a little bit like overreacting. And I was like, well, hopefully it's going to be okay. And, you know, hopefully it's going to be contained. And, and, uh, you know, also out of experience, I don't think any of us have gone through anything like that ever. So that's why it's difficult to imagine the depth and the effect, the depth of the effect that this was going to have. Um, and, and I was like, okay, for, and then all of a sudden, like things started getting closer and closer and closer and closer to the point that, okay, tour is canceled. And that's when I started realizing, oh, all right, it seems to be excessive, but okay. Like this is like the authorities, uh, said that it was not a lockdown, but they were, uh, advising to, I, I think they were doing that advising that to happen. And I think that's when the UK, there were, there were closing flights from, from America to the UK and, you know, some of the. Of the peeps there, some of the uh, staff were from the UK and 
whatnot and you know, Morgan from Sweden and all stuff. So it's like, okay, that makes sense. We don't want people trying to hear without getting a flight. I think it's, and I thought it was the best decision, of course. But uh, at that point, I was thinking, well, what's, what's going on? Is this, is this really a thing? And it's, it's funny that for me, it took me a while to, you know, oh, it is actually a thing. You know, when, when you start hearing about it and seeing it, it's like, oh, it is a thing and it's going to go for a long time. But to me, I mean, the first months I was like, okay, I'm just here for a bit. I'll go back home and uh, finishing the move. Um, I'll be out for the festivals in, 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 in the summer, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, like, no, you're staying home. <laughs> just staying, and you're staying, uh, uh, you are then girlfriend now with my fiance, uh, parents home. Uh, so definitely for me, it was a different process. And I think, I think if I knew like you did, I would probably have panicked more, I think, it, it, rather than just, it just coming, you're chewing a big bite and you're like, okay, oh, I, I see. Rather than boom, like it's going to be two years, I will probably have a little panic attack or something. But of course you're you and you're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, you can say whatever, Marcus, I know. I know. For me, it was, was really, um, yeah, I think maybe it was an advantage that I can just say, okay, I know I'm not going to go on tour, so I need to find a way to make a living. And so, so I, so I um, mobilized all my powers, right, to kind of like set new things in motion. And, and you know, I'm really uh, grateful I was able to do that. It was it was difficult to uh, to sustain that I have to say you know and now it's it's really and I, I actually played a couple a couple shows uh, like on a Saturday or on a Sunday just a few weeks ago in Czech Republic yeah, you told me yeah and and that was that was really uh, wonderful I have to say like I didn't really expect it to feel so great to be back um, you know playing but it was it, it really is not so much about myself even it was about the the celebration let's say of <laughs> celebrating music in a way and and i have to say yeah, i have i have been missing it a lot <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah hey my friend so uh, this this was amazing this was already uh uh again another long one here <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we haven't talked to each other for a long time, and and yeah. you know that was for whoever's watching this and listening to this. It, it was that was a day-to-day -day thing on on that tour. I remember just talking to you about a million things and everyone else involved as well. But like just a constant conversation like this, and of course, you know, we had you know silly conversations, talk about stupid things, but it's. Uh, it's just a thing as well. We haven't talked for a long time. So just talking is like, all right, let's just, what's the next topic? I mean, we can just carry on talking for, for, you know, hours and hours and hours and hours, which I think is a beautiful thing. It's uh, thank you for inviting me to this. It's fun. Of course. Of course. And, um, you know, I wish you all the best, um, with your, uh, leaving Haken and getting, you know, the new project of the ground and like your solo stuff and, and I hope that we're going to meet again at some point. <laughs> yeah, and I know we will. I know we will. Well, what I my real hope is to share a stage or some project again as well, because uh, we were communicating very well as well on stage, not only off stage and talking about deep things, but also uh, we were working together in a lot of things. And uh, I felt it was a very good, seamless kind of team that we were just like bouncing off each other. So that's definitely something I would love to do again, whether in 
X or Y or Z uh, project, whatever it comes. But yes. for sure, I'm looking forward to yes. that. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Marcus. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.